Welcome back to Stream Again, the podcast where we try and fail to watch everything on streaming and TV. I am your host, the C-tier Marvel sidekick of your dreams, Chris Barlow, and I am joined across the internet by a legitimate superhero, our own Captain Marvel, Diane Nora. How you doing, Diane? I'm doing well. I'm extremely honored with that new title. Wow. Everyone loves Captain Marvel, except most Marvel fans who would prefer to forget about that movie. But that is not what we're here to talk about today. No, we are going to talk about Captain Marvel's biggest fan, potentially, uh, Ms. Marvel herself, Kamala Khan. Yes. And I have to say, personally, I am enjoying Ms. Marvel much more than I enjoyed Captain Marvel, and that's just a little teaser for the review when we get to it later this episode. Uh, But that's not all we're going to get to this episode. Listeners know that we often do a little news, do a nice juicy review of a new or returning series, Uh, but this time we're going to talk about two series. We're going to talk about Ms. Marvel, new on Disney+, and then we're going to talk about a show we talked about last episode, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Now, ended on Disney Plus because get ready folks this is very exciting we're introducing a new segment this episode uh, you asked we listened and after listeners repeatedly said could you please tell us if you still liked shows after their seasons ended we are going to tell you if we still liked Obi-Wan Kenobi after the season ended it is what we are going to call a review rewind where we rewind to a previous review and then follow up and tell you if we thought the remaining season uh, was good. I'm very excited about this. We've been talking about it for a while, Diane, right? Yeah, we've been planning this, and we weren't sure exactly how to execute it the best way, if we should do one episode that featured a bunch of recaps. But um, I'm really excited about this format, so we can let you know when to expect upcoming rewinds. Yes, we have a few and in in the works right now. Because yes, we continue to watch the shows after we review them, with the exception of Yellowstone, which we both dropped hard. But that that's in the past. That's in the past. Uh, so uh, at the end of the episode today, we are going to revisit Obi-Wan. And obviously, there could be some major spoilers for Obi-Wan Kenobi. But don't worry. That is at the very, very end of the episode. We will give you ample spoiler alerts. And if you're not ready to talk about the end of Obi-Wan Kenobi. That is okay, because we have so much more to get to this episode, including a second new segment. That's right, we're going two for two here. Two new segments this week. Instead of our usual follow-up on recent news stories, we're going to do a very special kind of follow-up. We've been talking a lot recently about upfronts, networks, and streamers getting ready to pitch their new seasons, their fall slates of shows, and that also involves pitching which shows they're not bringing back, uh, pitching what shows are being canceled. And so we have an exciting new way to follow up on the question of has a show been renewed or canceled? And it's with a game that we're calling Renewed or Canceled. The rules of Renewed or Canceled are simple. I have a list of shows in front of me that have been renewed or canceled. Diane does not know the list. Diane doesn't know what shows I'm thinking about, what articles I've read. I've saved these in a completely separate note that Diane can't see. So will Diane know? Have these shows been renewed or canceled? There's only one way to find out. It's by playing Renewed or Canceled. Are you ready, Diane? I'm a little nervous. I'm going to be honest. I think I follow this stuff a a pretty, you know, 
above average amount, but still there are so many shows. I know, uh, I gotta say, I thought I would know the answers to all of these as I put it together. There are a few shows on this list that I have just never heard of. The streaming universe is vast. It really is. So um, a couple quick rules here. I'm not gonna give you any hints, but I am gonna give you two lifelines and you can use each one once, okay? So get, get ready for this. Lifeline number okay. one. If I name a show and you truly have not heard of it, you can ask me what network or streamer it is on. So that Ooh, is fun. lifeline number one. And then lifeline number two, a classic, phone a friend. But we're recording, so the only friend you can phone is me. And the only question you can ask is, do I think this show should be renewed or canceled? My personal opinion, I promise to be honest, I don't know how helpful that will be, but those are your two lifelines. Great. Okay, are you ready? Question number one. I think this one you're going to get, okay? I wanted to start mm -hmm. easy, easy into it, okay? Number one, has Our Flag Means Death been renewed or canceled? Renewed. That is correct. Oh, yes. Our Flag Means Death on HBO Max officially, finally renewed for another season. Number two, The Boys. Renewed. That is correct. Two seasons? Uh, renewed through season four on Amazon okay. Prime Video. Uh, season three airing as we speak. I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Uh, next up, Made for Love. I'm going to say canceled. That is correct. Made for Love, which aired on HBO Max, has been canceled after two seasons. Another one, very popular among Streamageddon fans, I'm sure. Is It Cake? Renewed. Yes, Is It Cake, of course, has been renewed on Netflix. Uh, next question. Raised by Wolves. Oh, I haven't seen this. I heard it was good, but I'm going to guess canceled? That is correct. Raised by Wolves, canceled after two seasons on HBO Max. Next question. Snowpiercer. Renewed? Oh, first no. miss. This was a tricky one because Snowpiercer... Didn't it not come out yet? It, it is, uh, has been given a final season, season four, and is being canceled after season four. Okay. Okay. Yes, kind of part of the roll roll down, roll out, roll down of TNT and the Turner Networks as Wabro Disco uh, takes over. Right, we talked. Okay. A little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, next one. This one, difficult. The Big D. Okay, I'm going to use one of my lifelines. I think this is a good lifeline choice. What's your uh, lifeline choice here? Which uh, streamer and or network is this on? I think this was the right lifeline to choose. The answer is TBS. Canceled. That's correct. Uh, canceled before the first season even aired. So zero seasons of The Big D on TBS. Uh, next, How To with John Wilson. Renewed. Yes, thank God. I love that show. It's on HBO and HBO Max. Uh, next, Chrissy's Court. Oh, this is the Chrissy Teigen thing? Yes. Uh, canceled? I'm so sorry. This was a tricky one. Chrissy's Court was, of course, a Quibi, Quibi? show. Yes. Yeah. And you would think a Quibi show. Certainly it's been canceled. But the Quibi shows got acquired by Roku. And Roku has renewed Chrissy's Court for a second season as a Roku original. Wow. I know. Okay. Wow, indeed. I mean, the power of Chrissy Teigen. Uh, honestly, it was my favorite show on Quibi. And I watched several shows on Quibi because we were all locked at home in March of 2020. 
if you remember the grand rollout of Quibi, the uh, streaming service you were supposed to watch in line at the grocery store at the beginning mm. of the pandemic. It was a great strategy. Really good. Really good. I used to watch Chrissy's Court while walking the dog because it was the only thing you could go outside to do. I don't watch TV while I walk the dog, but Honestly, you have just opened a world it's a choice. of entertainment. I was really trying a lot of new things then to keep myself sane. Ironically, Quibi did not help keep myself sane. But, you know, that's great news for Chrissy Teigen and Chrissy's Court. I look forward to forgetting to watch it on Roku. As do I. Uh, next up, Doomlands. Okay, I'm going to be honest and tell you I don't know what Doomlands is. So I'm going to use my second lifeline and say, Chris, should Doomlands have been renewed or canceled? I'm so sorry you chose to use this lifeline on this question because I've never heard of Doomlands. I have no opinion about whether Doomlands should be renewed or canceled. Well, shucks. Um, I'm going to guess that Doomlands is doomed and guess canceled. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's a Roku original. They've renewed it. Cool. Right? I don't know what it's about, so don't ask me any follow-up questions, please. <laughs> Let's move on to the next one. The Lincoln Lawyer. Oh, that got canceled. No. Renewed what? on Netflix. Great. Great for Gosh. them, right? Yeah. Uh, surprising. A show got renewed on Netflix. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Crazy, I know. Uh, this one, I think you'll know the answer. Mr. Mayor. Oh, that got canceled. Yes, as we've covered extensively on this podcast. <laughs> so sorry, Mr. Mayor. Uh, how We Roll. Mm, I don't I don't know this show. I'm going to guess canceled. That is correct. How We Roll is the Pete Holmes bowling comedy that was airing on CBS. Uh, and just that entire phrase, Pete Holmes bowling comedy on CBS, deserves to be canceled. Mm, Next. Darn. I know. I know. So sad. So sad. A Black Lady Sketch Show. Oh, renewed. That's correct. For season four on HBO. I love it. Uh, this is perhaps a sad one. The, the Wendy Williams Show. I'm going to guess because you said it was a sad one, and I'm going to infer that perhaps you like Wendy Williams, or at least enjoy her antics, that it was canceled. I do enjoy her antics. It's true. It's true. (laughs) Uh, Two more. We are almost to the end of the game, and you will get your final score. Very exciting. Uh, Dark Winds. Uh, Canceled? I'm so sorry. Dark Winds has been renewed for a second season on AMC. Oh, now that you say AMC, I know what that show is. Okay, I could tell okay, when you good. said canceled. Good. I was like, no, you know this show, Diane. I think you've we forgotten about what it. it's called. Yes, yes. <laughs> I did. I totally forgot. Uh, final round. Killing it. Renewed. That's correct. That is a comedy on Peacock about killing snakes. And that, friends, was your first ever round of Renewed or Canceled. And I would say, Diane, you did pretty well there. I am doing the tally right now. And your final score was 12 correct answers out of 18 shows. Hmm. I know. Two thirds. I if anyone played along at home and beat my score, I'd like to I'd like to hear. 
you should tell us. How did you do, yeah. listener? Leave us the answer in a review on Apple Podcasts or email us, podcast at streamageddon.com. We would love to know how you did. In our first ever game, I look forward to doing this again when we have some more renewal and cancellation news. If you, listener, stumble upon a renewal or cancellation that catches your eye, email us, podcast at streamageddon.com. We'll include it in the next round of Renewed or Cancelled. And with that, it's time to move on to a little bit of news. But this week, we're in a Disney Plus mood. We're going to be talking about Ms. Marvel. We're going to be talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi. And so for the news this week, we're going to focus on news about Disney Plus. The House of Mouse, if you will. Or the house that IP purchased by the mouse built. And uh, so let's start uh, with a little bit of Disney Plus follow-up, I suppose. We talked recently about Disney Plus being the exclusive streamer of Premier League Cricket in India as part of Disney Plus Hotstar, or Disney Plus Star. That's what they call their expanded service overseas. And uh, the rights for uh, Premier League Cricket were due to be renewed uh, up for negotiation and bidding. And the question was, how much was Disney willing to pay to keep those exclusive rights, which have really helped grow their audience in India. And the answer is Disney is not willing to pay as much as Paramount, Paramount of all people, which joined Mm. with a uh, local Indian media company called Bodhi Tree Systems to form a joint venture called Viacom 18, because sure, why not? I I just... so ominous. Yeah, the 18 is like smushed together with the word Viacom. There's no space between them. I don't know what the 18 stands for. And on top of all of that, they just killed the Viacom brand in the US by rebranding everything under Paramount. And then they're like, no, no, no. We're going to bring back Viacom, but Viacom 18. Finally, it's 18. It's adult, I guess. I don't know. I know, right? It does sort of sound like it's adult (laughs) content, which it's not. The corner of Paramount Plus that has Cinemax on it is what you're saying. Yes, (laughs) yes. Uh, So Viacom 18 got the exclusive streaming rights for Premier League cricket in India, but Disney did not go away empty-handed in what I thought was a really strange business twist. They got the TV rights, the actual television rights, and they wound Mm -hmm. up paying more for those TV rights than they did for the whole bundle last time. So the long story short here is that there was a bidding war for the streaming rights for Premier League cricket. And at this point... Uh, right now, with the current contract that's ending, Disney has both TV and streaming rights, and now they're going to be paying more just to have only the TV rights because uh, Viacom 18 swooped in and grabbed the streaming rights at a huge premium. Will that affect Disney Plus sign-up numbers in India? I have no idea. I mean, I imagine it will, but... uh... I guess that one thing to point out is the um, average revenue per user in India, we've talked about this, is is lower than it would be in the UCAN region. So even if they lose subscribers, it may not mean a loss of revenue or, yeah. or a significant loss of revenue long term. I think that's a really good um, point. The, the question on the mind for me is what are they prioritizing right now? Uh, average revenue per user, also known as ARPU. Or are they looking at uh, just hitting their subscriber growth numbers? Because as we talked about last episode, they have some very ambitious subscriber targets. But 
right now, as the economy is shifting and people are worried about a recession, there is also an impulse to make sure that you're not burning a lot of cash in the name of growth. And one note that did come up as I was reading about the uh, Premier League bidding war is that the TV rights can be monetized more immediately. You can actually get better return on your investment in the short term with the TV rights because commercials and ad sales, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Uh, whereas the streaming rights are really a long-term play for subscriber growth and you're uh, buying those at a huge short-term loss. And so I imagine Disney just had kind of a, an upper limit on how much they were willing to sacrifice for the streaming rights, but that they didn't come away empty-handed and they can probably make money in the short term on the TV rights. Yeah. Um, it looks like uh, Sony and Amazon put in bids too. Yeah. So um, <laughs> it may be that this is one of those deals that losing the streaming rights is something you can show your uh, board and your investors and say, look, we're being practical here. Yeah, we're Um, involved, we're ambitious, but we're not, mm -hmm. you know, uh, out of touch with the business reality. Uh, So trust trust us to stay in charge. Trust me, Bob Chapek, to stay in charge, which given his trouble as of late, uh, I'm sure he wants to show the board that he knows what he's doing. Absolutely. Speaking of his trouble as of late, what a great transition to talk about Disney's uh, latest fantastic interaction with the LGBTQ plus community. I'm just, I'm so proud to be a fan of Disney in this community uh, where they constantly find a way to um, do the wrong thing when they try to do the right thing. Listeners will, of course, know they already did this with the Don't Say Gay Bill in Florida, where they did the wrong thing, then they did the right thing, but at that point, they'd already really gone far down the path of the wrong thing, so we weren't really happy that they turned around and did the right thing, and then the bigots in Florida were angry that they did do the right thing, and now nobody likes Disney in Florida, and it's real awkward for them. And, and you know, to be fair, they did eventually do the right thing, and I give Bob Chapek credit for eventually saying that gay people are people. Thank you. I appreciate that, Bob. Uh, So it's thrilling to see Disney once again putting together their Disney Plus Pride special, this year called Say It With Pride. And it features a ton of clips from Disney Plus shows, Disney Plus characters, and actors. Great synergy with Disney Plus, which is why you cannot watch this special on Disney Plus. Not available there. What were they thinking? Well, this is the second year they've done it. Variety has mm. the details, and, and they both years only released it on YouTube and Facebook, uh, where, where I'm like, I would never choose to watch anything on Facebook, but sure, okay. Uh, the, the special, it, it is an infomercial for Disney Plus in some ways, uh, but I don't know why they can't also air that infomercial on Disney Plus. A lot of content on Disney Plus is just an infomercial for other content on Disney Plus. When I finished watching episode three of Ms. Marvel last night, it it ended and suggested I watch a four-minute documentary about the fans of Ms. Marvel. And I I just have to stop and say, four-minute documentary is a phrase I never thought would come up in in the world of TV and streaming. But here we are. We have now christened the four-minute documentary format, which you might also just call an ad. I did watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you did. You have to tell me right now, how is the four-minute documentary about the fans of Ms. Marvel? I have wasted time in less enjoyable ways. Fair enough. And, you know, why not also put your hour-long 
advertorial content about gay characters on the service where you can watch the couple of gay characters you have. Uh, not, Not a lot, not a lot to choose from, but you do have some now. Well, and also it seems like part of their goal is to not just get people to open Disney Plus, but to stay on Disney Plus when they're there. So if someone has just watched one of the films that has a gay character, they might want to see this, you know, the way that after watching Ms. Marvel, you might want to watch an ad for Ms. Marvel. Um, It it seems like a loss to me uh, and a missed opportunity. And this strategy of trying to find some middle ground here that Disney seems to be doing is just enraging everybody. So yes. why not just stand for something? Yes. Um, All the time. I agree. Uh, you know, to Disney's defense, I suppose, Variety points out that they do have a, a pride section in the Disney Plus app right now, uh, which includes, like, uh, I think, Trevor the Musical, Love Victor, which I imagine bounces you out to Hulu because isn't that a Hulu show? I think so. Right? Uh, You know, in a way. And then also West Side Story because there is, uh, you know, uh, uh, a groundbreaking LGBTQ plus actor who won an Oscar for that movie. Right? Mm. Right? But that movie is not about LGBTQ plus people. And so, again, when I'm like, when your pride section includes things that don't air on your streamer and movies that aren't about pride at all, I, I, it seems like you're, you're, you're really reaching. You're, you're, you're kind of tacitly admitting you don't have a lot of pride-related content. You don't have a lot of representation for LGBTQ plus characters or, or people on your service. And... Yet, when when they do show uh, any sort of queer character, even briefly, even a mention of it, uh, it really angers the other side, as we have seen this past month with Lightyear. Well, you took the words right out of my mouth. It's like, oh, yes, well, we, we had a lesbian character in Lightyear, and that ruined Lightyear. The reason Lightyear has failed is because they gave a, like, sea story to a gay character who you've never heard of and will never be seen of again. Right. That may, it does also result, I've heard, in a, in one gay kiss, right? Yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. They put yeah. that back in. Okay. They put that back in, is the rumor. Uh, of course, this story here is Lightyear, the new gritty reboot of Buzz Lightyear that everyone was just clamoring for. Uh, it is not meeting expectations. It's the first Pixar movie to hit the box office, the actual movie theater box office, since the pandemic started, and it uh, failed to win its opening weekend. It lost to the new Jurassic World movie, which was now two weeks into its run. So, uh, you know, Disney had hoped and expected that Lightyear would take number one in its premiere weekend, and it got close to edging out Jurassic World, but it, it did not. And the fact of the matter is that even that it was close is not a good sign. Uh, week two of a mediocre Jurassic Park spinoff, albeit one that brings back Jeff Goldblum and the original cast. Oh my goodness. But it's still not a very good movie. Uh, the fact that that, in its second week, trounced the triumphant return of Pixar and Buzz Lightyear to the movie theaters, that's not a great sign. And so, of course, the uh, culture warriors in the world, we love our culture warriors, uh, they've decided that it's because the movie's too woke. 
clearly the answer is this incomprehensible movie about the character that inspired a fictional toy in a 20-year-old movie I'm sorry, 30-year-old movie. Oh. Um, <laughs> that, you know, that that, that is too woke. That was the problem. Not not the other problems I may have just hinted at. No, 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 no. The problem is Uzo Aduba's character gets to kiss. Uh, it's just really ridiculous. I almost feel foolish bringing it up because it's like I don't want to give any credence at all. It's like even debating such a ridiculous thing gives it some legitimacy that it doesn't have because it's it doesn't make sense that's not why i mean i think probably too many people who went to go see it didn't know that that content was in it it's not like it's being advertised as no you know so it's not like it's being advertised Almost at all. I think it is worth discussing this because for I agree. I don't want to give more oxygen to the bigots in the world. But at the same time, I have to be honest, like the movie is not doing well. Why is it not doing well? There are actually legitimate reasons it's not doing well. Uh, Number one, as I already said, the concept of this movie is nonsensical. And nobody, they have spent so much time in the press tour hyping up this movie trying to explain what the plot is and why this movie exists, which is not a good sign. They're like, yeah, you know Buzz Lightyear from Toy Story. So this is the story of the fictional character on the cartoon show that Andy watched that inspired the action figure that you know and love. And I'm like, okay, sure, that sort of tracks, kind of. But is it is it that Buzz Lightyear was a real human? Is this a movie that Andy would have seen in 1994? It, it, there's so many questions about a timeline. Where on earth does this fit? Um, Chris Evans, uh, who plays Lightyear in Lightyear, has said that it is Andy's movie. <laughs> I was trying to figure out what what the plot is. I'm not going to watch this movie, no. I don't think. But um, no. yeah, he said that like in whenever they made Toy Story, Andy got a toy from his favorite movie, <laughs> which is Buzz Lightyear, and that this is that movie. Sure. None of that tracks with the plot of Toy Story at all. I just want to stop and say, like, they in no way painted Buzz Lightyear as being this brand new character. He obviously was newer than Woody, and he was the hot new thing. But also, there were a lot of side characters like the aliens and the claw machine that all seemed to fit in a universe. There's Lord Zerm or whatever, the villain. It seemed like there was a cartoon series, a video game. The, 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 The movie just being the introduction of Buzz Lightyear, to me does not make sense. Never mind that it is a 2022 quality CGI film that was supposedly seen by Andy in like 1993 when CGI was so new that the only way we could make a good movie with CGI was if all of the characters were toys and we never saw the human faces because my god the uncanny valley was so uncanny back then. I'm mm. it just so is this supposed to be live action? And we're seeing it in CGI because the universe of Toy Story is CGI? I I don't... I'm I'm so far down the rabbit hole on this because it doesn't make any sense. I think this (laughs) is more likely the marketing issue that they had, uh, more so than, you know, a potential lesbian kiss. Never mind that in 1993, Andy definitely did not see a lesbian kiss in a child movie. (laughs) 
There is no oh, universe where Disney or whatever fake Disney Lightyear is supposed to be made by in this universe would ever, ever have had a lesbian kiss, let alone a progressive one involving a black character. In a children's movie, if anything, the only gay character allowed in this movie would be a villain mm. like Jafar. Or, or Ursula. We've got a long list of gay villains to choose right. from. And again, those would be queer-coded and not explicitly gay. Uh, you know, you know. <laughs> but but I digress. Because there's another reason I think this movie's doing badly. And we have a link in the show notes from the AV Club where, where they posit, I think, a really good question. Uh, did Disney shoot itself in the foot by pushing so many Pixar releases direct to Disney Plus over the course of the pandemic. And definitely there are some points in the pandemic where that made a lot of sense uh, because people were not willing to go back to the theaters. Theaters were still closed at some points in the pandemic. But uh, uh, Turning Red, which came out fairly recently and was a really well-reviewed mm-hmm. Pixar original, new IP, new characters, that was supposed to go to theaters and they pushed it to Disney Plus instead. Uh, and it did fine on Disney Plus, but th- this is now uh, Lightyear is the first Pixar movie to be back in theater since the pandemic started, and I think they've maybe just trained audiences to look to Disney Plus for this content, especially for family content. I could just see the convenience factor being so high. You're already paying for this streamer, and tickets to the movies are expensive for a family. There are lots of other costs right now. You know, yeah. I-, I think that. You know, it might just be easier to wait until it's on the streamer, uh, even if you are interested in the movie. Yeah. And on top of that, you know, I I mentioned a moment ago, they don't really it doesn't feel like they advertised the movie very well. And I've seen some bus ads and some subway ads. But I would tell Mm -hmm. you personally, I have seen the same amount of advertising for this movie as I saw for Turning Red. And the difference is that Turning Red was going straight to streaming. And that also means if I opened the Disney Plus app when Turning Red came out, there was a giant banner for Turning Red in the Disney Plus app, which is free advertising, primo real estate. They aren't doing that with Lightyear because you can't watch it in Disney Plus. I'm sure there is a four-minute documentary about the fans of Lightyear in Disney Plus, but they are not pushing that. So not just is it not getting, I think, the extra advertising push it needs to bring people back to the theaters, but it's also in a way getting like less advertising than the ones that went straight to streaming because streaming itself advertises the content. I wonder if they had made part of the advertising, the fact that they were showing uh, an LGBTQ plus character and like really leaned in on that and said, actually, we do stand for something. (laughs) Love is love, happy pride. And they, you know, already know that they have angered a certain subsect of viewers on the right. So let those people be angry and just say, you know, this is what we stand for. (laughs) And, you know, if if more people might have been interested in seeing it, because until it became an excuse to blame its poor performance on, I don't think that many people were talking about it, except the people who were angry about it. Yes, I agree a thousand percent. And I love this fantasy world we live in, where Disney would take a stand (laughs) for anything at all. Uh, But, you know, that's what's going on with Lightyear. Uh, Too bad for the Buzz Lightyear fans of the world. Um, But I don't know how many of those, those exist. So maybe it's not too bad at all, you know? I'm sure eventually you can watch it on Disney+. Plus. Well, that's the thing. Even if I want to watch it, I'm going to just wait for it to go to streaming. 
And I think you're right that a lot of families probably thinking the same thing. Uh, you know, before we get to our big Ms. Marvel review, I do want to touch on one Disney Plus tangent. Uh, you sent me an article from uh, eMarketer, eMarketer's Insider <laughs> Intelligence. This is a, like a data analytics firm. Uh, yeah. And they looked at uh, the ratio of uh, subscribers on ad-supported streaming tiers and ad-free streaming tiers for the streamers that have both. And Disney Plus is about to introduce an ad-supported tier, as is, of course, Netflix. But we're focused <laughs> on Disney Plus today. And uh, I, I just, the numbers in here were interesting. The the breakdown, the two extremes were Peacock and HBO Max. And on Peacock, only 20% of the viewers have the ad-free version. So the vast majority of viewers on Peacock are seeing ads. Uh, and on the flip side, the vast majority of HBO Max users are on the ad-free tier. And their ad tier, which has been around for a while now, is a relatively niche product. Uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, me too. Um, and I think that I'm sure that Netflix is looking at this info as they rush their rollout to this every mm -hmm. tier and, um, and that Disney Plus will as well. Um, and I think you made a good point that it seems like people are opting for the ad supported tier more often when it's the default, which makes complete sense. Yeah, I think people choose the default one that's presented to them most of the time, which in the case of Peacock, Peacock with the ads, which is called Peacock Premium, not to be confused with Peacock Premium Plus, uh, regular Peacock, let's call it, regular Peacock comes free with a lot of Comcast and Xfinity cable packages. And then you can optionally pay more to get the ad-free tier, but why most people would not. And I also took note of the fact that in this breakdown, uh, 8% of Peacock subscribers they polled don't know which tier they have, which tells me they have the regular ad-supported tier and they're getting it for free through their cable provider, and all they know is they have something called Peacock. Uh, that was the highest percentage of don't knows as well in the services they read through, which really screamed out to me. I was like, yes, I, I understand this. This would be the answer my parents would have. They'd be like, yeah, we have Peacock. I, I, are there tiers? I don't know. It just comes on the TV. Right. Uh, yeah. And Hulu was close there with 7% don't knows. And I wonder if they're getting Hulu in a bundle. <laughs> right. They could have the Disney bundle and they're not sure which Hulu is included in their Disney bundle. <laughs> uh, you know, HBO Max is the opposite situation where they were originally ad free. Then they added the ad supported tier. So you would either have to be a new subscriber who actively chose the ad supported tier or you'd have to be an existing subscriber who intentionally downgraded to the ad-supported tier. And and that is more work. That's literally like momentum just says you're going to stick with the one you have. Uh, also with HBO, if you're a cable subscriber paying for HBO through your cable company, you're getting the ad-free tier because you're paying for full-blown HBO, which is the same price as the ad-free HBO Max. So it, it's interesting to me, and it gives me a theory, a hypothesis I'm going to put out there, that I think applies mm -hmm. to both Netflix and Disney+. Plus. I think they're going to be more like HBO Max in that the majority of their subscribers will stick with ad-free because that is the easy pre-existing option. If you're already subscribed, that's what you have. You would have to change something to go to the ad-supported tier. And unless the ad-supported tier is crazy cheap by comparison, I don't see a lot of people, at least not yet, shifting over just to save a couple bucks a month. I do wonder if some of those Netflix subscribers who canceled their service in the past couple quarters will come back 
with a cheaper option. I could also see the ad supported tiers still being an option and them saying, well, look, I've got these other streaming options and I don't, I, I, I don't, don't need, need it. Yeah, that's the question. Well, we will find out more as Disney Plus and Netflix roll out their ad-supported services. Uh, so, you know, keep an eye on that. We will, and we'll follow up on it. And we've got a link to those stats from um, eMarketer.com in the show notes. So you can take a look at how uh, these stack up against uh, Discovery Plus, Paramount Plus, and Hulu as well. But with that, we're staying on the Disney Plus train, and we are moving on to our review of the week. Very marvelly, very marvelly transition mm-hmm. there to talk about Ms. Marvel, the marveliest of Marvel characters, perhaps, uh, besides Captain Marvel, the marveliest of all Marvels, right? Uh, maximum Marvel. Yeah, well, they can introduce a character called Maximum Marvel next. That that is on track, actually. Yes. I do think this is a departure from the Marvel world, though, in a lot of ways. It is. In a good way. Yeah, that's why I'm actually excited to talk about it. For those of you who don't know, Ms. Marvel, the latest Marvel uh, TV series on Disney+, and also the first one starring a Muslim-American also, the first one where a teenager is the main superhero character, unless I am missing, I guess, Spider-Man, you can sort of, I, that, that is such a great yeah. area, because is he Marvel, is he Sony, is he uh, in the multiverse or what? I don't know anymore with Spider-Man. So let's, let's put Spider-Man aside and say that this is groundbreaking, because it's the first mainline Marvel series, for sure, with a teen star, and with kind of a teen tone, let's say. Uh, Ms. Marvel has the hybrid approach of a superhero show and a kind of high school coming-of-age show, uh, more so even than Hawkeye. And before we get the comments that, well, Hawkeye had a teenage character, sort of, however old she is, um, that show's about Hawkeye. That show is about the guy named Hawkeye. She's there. She's great. She's what, you know, uh, Hawkeye has to work with and uh, grow from. But that, that show is called Hawkeye. This show is called Ms. Marvel and is about Kamala Khan, a teenager living in Jersey City, who becomes Ms. Marvel. I was also really delighted by uh, the New Jersey content. It yeah. really felt like it took place in Jersey City. I mean, I don't live there. I have ventured through. But, um, you know, sometimes I think uh, the real world sections of Marvel content feel pretty slight and like they don't like what New York is this? Um, uh, where are we? And like or they're like somewhere vaguely pastoral. Um, This seemed like pretty specific um, in the characters and also just in in the like vibe of the city. I love the way um, there is some animation, even though it's live action, uh, where we get to sort of see what Kamala is imagining. Um, And so they have like text messages that pop up on the screen, illustrations, because um, she has a really active imagination. And that part of the sort of cinematography of it, I just loved. Yeah, it gives it a lot of character, a lot of personality. And there's something specific about Jersey City, too, that has has Mm -hmm. a unique character to it. It is, you know, New York adjacent, but very much not New York. 
And I really love that most of this appears to be shot in Georgia. And they've found a way to make Georgia work as Jersey City very effectively. I am very impressed with their ability to, to make where they shoot all of these things actually feel like a specific place for once. Whereas, like, Hawkeye, again, as a, a quick comparison, Hawkeye had some moments that were definitely New York. Uh, Hawkeye's uh, 30 Rock uh, Christmas tree extravaganza fight sequence absolutely a treat however a lot of hawkeye which is supposed to take place almost entirely in new york is is in corners of streets of cities that i can definitely tell you are not new york whatsoever at all i think yeah this the specificity overall is what is working on this show for me and uh it's not it just doesn't feel like the other marvel shows it's funny and it's sweet. It does feel like a teen show, but not in the sense of like a soapy teen show. I'm trying to think of a teen show that it really reminds me of. Um, a little bit like Lizzie McGuire. Do you remember that show? Yeah, and in a way, Bruno is her Gordo. Right. Yes, totally. 100%. Her best friend, Bruno, who is the like uh, science tech guy. He's the guy who can like make her gadgets and things in a way that is, you know, beyond belief, but treat it really like delicately so that it doesn't feel insane. Like he is studying interdimensional travel for her and, and, and he is a 17 year old. But I when he comes up with the answer, I'm like, yeah, I believe he he's geeky enough to have done that research and and he knows what's up. Up with interdimensional travel sure 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 yeah and i mean it is about their like those two are pretty much the main characters of the teens also her friend nakia is uh who they call nax is, is a main character there who i love their relationship between yeah, it's a, a very sisterly relationship yeah absolutely and it's just interesting to see um, two young Muslim women talking about issues of identity. I don't think I've seen that on TV before. Um, yeah. It was really refreshing. Yeah, I, I think it's a great uh, thing to point out with their relationship in particular because it's like a strong teen-female relationship rooted in a culture that is not white uh, middle American culture, truly. Like, really interesting to watch them have a conversation about Nakia's choice to wear a hijab. And, yeah. and how she kind of feels in between two worlds always, but that wearing the hijab felt made her feel like her. And so no matter what, she's going to feel torn between two worlds, but she's going to do the things and be the person that makes her feel the most, you, you know, uh, self-assured, the most uniquely Nakia. And then she goes and runs for the uh, board of the local mosque, which in a way is a great sea story kind of, because she's mm -hmm. really young, she's a woman, and they don't hesitate to show us the the kind of uh, real gender politics of the mosque in some of the scenes where the women have to pray in the separate room behind the screen. But they also show that they're allowed to kind of speak up and complain about it. Uh, and that this is sort of a progressive mosque in a lot of ways where they have a voice and she can run for the board and she does win a seat on the board. Uh, that's a nice uh, window into a different world that you don't see on TV, let alone on a Marvel show. Yeah, I just really enjoyed that. And there's so much sweetness among the friendships and even among the parents. So a, a big point of conflict on the show probably is between uh, Kamala and her mother. But I think, you know, they seem to really love each other still, even though they are fighting and she has different expectations for what her life will be than what her daughter wants. But you know, it's not done in a way that feels 
very negative or dark. It's really got a lot of love behind it, which makes it kind of heartwarming. Yeah, there's a great tension between tradition and uh, freedom. You know, the the it's mm-hmm. a, in a way a classic kind of immigrant story that's been told many many times. Uh, Kamala's mother is a uh, immigrant to America from Pakistan and came to America to make a better life for herself and her family and her children. And Kamala is obsessed with superheroes and wants to be a superhero and go to Avengers Con and do all of these things that are very not traditional, not the background that her mother came from, but at the same time are the reasons that her mother came to America in the first place. And so there's this tension in their relationship uh, where you can see her mother both uh, want Kamala to be more traditional, to be more conservative, to be more practical, because, you know, her mother was very practical. She made a huge sacrifice to move to the U.S., to a country where she knew almost no one and didn't speak the language in order to make a better life for herself. While Kamala's, you know, head in the clouds, uh, dreaming of a an animated superhero flying over the skyline. Uh, but again... That is why she came to America, to give Kamala the opportunity to be who she wants to be. And they are not shy about watching those two forces butt up against each other. And uh, at the same time, they don't paint it as a black and white situation. They they paint it as what it is, which is the really difficult gray area uh, between generations, in particular in immigrant families. Yeah, and I think that it it seems very authentic to me. Um, Obviously, I'm not... uh part of that community so i can't speak personally but i you know i was reading some reactions online to it too and it seemed like a lot of people on twitter were um saying how excited they were about that representation um there's a moment in the second episode where they talk about the history of the partition and they which you know I did have one moment where I was like, hmm, this is a little bit of exposition, but the viewers probably need it. It is a show for teenagers. So having a moment where we discuss history, you know, is important. And it doesn't go into like a huge history lesson, but it does talk about the history of the partition. And it's not, again, like you said, it's not shy about saying that uh, imperialism was a major problem and continues to be a problem uh, for these families. And I really think that that is a good tone for Marvel to strike, uh, this sort of anti-imperialism. It's interesting in the context of the greater Marvel lore where you have a character like Captain America. Yeah. Um, and so I'm I'm interested in how they'll continue to thread that line. I, yeah. Yeah, at the very least, I was really excited. As, as a bit of a history buff, I was really excited to see a show aimed at teens just kind of casually be like, well, you know, the partition really drove a wedge into a lot of families. And, you know, uh, the, the, relevant to the story of Ms. Marvel is that uh, Kamala's grandmother, I'm sorry, her great-grandmother, uh, vanished in the partition. She was lost in the partition. And her great-grandmother is the source of this magic bangle that unlocks Kamala's superpowers. And uh, so the story of her great-grandmother becomes more and more important, though Kamala's mother does not want to talk about it at all. And you can sense that it is rooted in a lot of bad memories and bad history from the partition and uh, Kamala's mother's childhood in Pakistan. And so uh, Kamala 
feels like she can't be honest with her mother about what's going on with this magic bangle. Although they are quick to point out the bangle is not the reason she has her powers so much as it's what unlocks her powers that she has inside of her, which key differentiator there. Uh, So instead, Kamala has to FaceTime, essentially, or Skype with her uh, grandmother, her mother's mother, who is still in Pakistan, and who is painted as, like, kind of an aloof or daffy, uh, almost sometimes negligent mother uh, by by Kamala's mother. You can sense that there's some not great feelings between Kamala's mother and uh, Kamala's grandmother. But by the end of the third episode, and we watched the first three uh, for review, uh, you can see that Kamala's grandmother knows a lot more about what's going on with the bangle and with Kamala's powers because Kamala has a vision of a train and then Kamala's grandmother gives her a little like Skype call and says hey I saw the train you need to come to Karachi right now a very exciting cliffhanger I I mean I'm going to keep watching I thought that um I was wondering if Kamala's mother knows more than she's letting on I about the world of she magic. Does. I do. Because when the bangle appeared, uh, it was shipped over. And when, and when it appeared, she made a specific point of like, no, 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 you don't, like, you don't need put that, that away. That's, that's junk. Yeah, that's junk. Um, so I think that I, she may know more than, we're let, than we know at this point. I, we'll I suspect as much, but we will see. What I like is is while there are a lot of uh, classic superhero tropes in this show and a lot of classic teen drama tropes in this show, it is still, uh, plot-wise, something where I don't know where we're going yet. Every episode has introduced a new element or a new twist uh, that leaves me one really leaves me guessing about what direction the superhero arc that Kamala's going on is going to go. In a way, it's reminding me a lot of season two of Russian Doll. Uh, and I know you're not fully caught up on Russian Doll, but in season two, we really go back in time to the family history of Natasha Leone's main character. And we actually wind up all the way back in Budapest. And it uh, coincidentally involves a lot of history about a train and visions of a train. And so there is, when the train sequence happened in the third episode, I was like, oh, we are going full Russian doll here, and I am fully here for it. Yeah, I mean, it's not the edge of your seat action that you might experience from, like, Loki, maybe, as a series, but... It's really enjoyable viewing, in my opinion. I didn't think that it was like so much of a kid's show that I was, you know, above it or that it, you know, was too sappy, but it is heartwarming and it has enough of the superhero. Like there's at least one action sequence per episode uh, and that's, you know, enough to keep me hooked. Yeah, I agree. And the the action sequences aren't the best action sequences as Marvel goes so far. And part of that's because her powers are super new. She's very clumsy with them and doesn't really know how to use them yet. And so I think that there's a lot of opportunity for those action sequences to get more dynamic and interesting and varied. But right now, they're there, and they help break up the the tone of the show really well. It is a, a nice balancing act between the superhero element, the teen drama element, and kind of the history mystery puzzle element that they're playing with the family history story that she's investigating. Yeah. And I, I'm uh, so far, I'm invested in all three of those tracks. Yeah, I am too. And it's moving at a nice speed where it doesn't linger on any one of them for too long. 
Uh, a good example would be in uh, the first uh, couple episodes we get introduced to Hamran, who is the very attractive new kid at school who has seemingly a flirty thing going with Kamala. And they, they go on kind of a date, and he takes her for a driving lesson because she totally botched her driving test. And you think, ooh, this is a nice little, like, teen subplot, little teen romance. He's getting between Kamala and Bruno. Uh, he keeps calling Bruno Brian, which is driving Bruno crazy. <laughs> uh, and, ooh, this is real classic coming-of-age teen drama stuff. And then at the end of the second episode... Uh, Kamala saves a young boy's life when he almost falls off of a, a high tower at the mosque. He was like climbing up trying to get a selfie and he falls uh, and right before he plummets truly to like his death, she uses her powers to save him, but again clumsily because she's new at it and then she does sort of drop him and he does fall a little bit, but but survives. She did save him right. to, be, to be clear, uh, but then she has to flee because nobody knows her identity. She's wearing a goofy costume um, and she gets cornered by the kind of uh, there are multiple potential villain paths on this show right now, but one villain is the Department of Damage Control, which I I love uh, as the concept for this. Uh, it's not like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or something really marvel It has a marvel vibe, but at the same time, there's something a little more teeny, a little more youth-oriented about it being the Department of Damage Control. It's just a little more cartoony in a good way. Uh, and they show up to try to capture Kamala because their attitude seems to be that, like, unregulated superpowers are a bad thing. And they're here to clean up the damage. I Like, it's, it is you it is what it says on the tin. Um, and the Department of Damage Control almost catches her. And she winds up getting picked up in a car by Hamran, who it turns out is sort of not related to her by blood or, or, you know, direct relation, but they are related in that they've both descended from, like, interdimensional beings. And what we are led to believe is that Kamala's great-grandmother was an interdimensional being called a jinn, and that they were attempting to get the bangle to get them back to their home dimension, the Noor dimension. Uh, and so Hamran shows up with his mother, who is hundreds of years old, perhaps. Uh, Hamran is 17. They they are quick to point out, no, no, Hamran's 17. So this is not a creepy relationship. Like, <laughs> and they and they also knowingly did that. When, when they said, oh, no, Hamran's actually 17, Kamala goes, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> because we're thinking the same thing. When they reveal right. that, that Hamran is part of this group of jinn who uh, literally in a flashback are the exact same age in 1942 as they are now, I'm like, oh no, Hamran's 80. Oh no. Uh, so no, he's 17. But the, the rest of the jinn are, are very old interdimensional beings. And uh, they, they show up and they save her and then kick off the plot of the third episode. And I just, I like that pace of as soon as you think, oh, this is that kind of traditional uh, TV story. They go, no, no, it has the tone of that. That's how you can kind of, you know, flow along. They're playing the, the notes, but they're, it's, it's jazz. They're playing the notes, but they're playing them different. Yeah. When you mentioned the, thank goodness, no 100-year age gap, uh -huh. I, I immediately thought of Buffy. And it kind <laughs> of reminds me of those shows like Buffy or Charmed the kind of thing you would have seen on the CW where you have like you know a, a teen with mysterious powers who's sort of dealing with the supernatural um, and I think that tapping into that tonally is really smart yeah 
because that's a classic genre in its own right. That genre of of Buffy's and Veronica Mars's, where it's the teen who is is saving the world or saving the school or investigating the mystery, but it's all a secret and the parents can't know, and mm-hmm. they have to make sure they maintain their cover, so to speak. That is uh, some of my favorite um, kind of teen genre TV, to be honest. Like, I love Buffy. I love Veronica Mars. And I am enjoying that exact same uh, path in uh, Marvel. Yeah, I really like the fact that for the different Marvel TV shows, they're not afraid to make them very different from each other. It's not like every other Marvel show was doing the same thing. You know, like you brought up Hawkeye. Hawkeye is sort of a Christmas show. It's sort of a comedy. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and not to overemphasize Hawkeye, but the entire reason I like Hawkeye at all is because they made a genre choice and they went, this is yeah. the Christmas one. Otherwise, Hawkeye's kind of not great. But when they lean into, well, we're playing with genre here and they're doing the same thing here and the same thing with uh, WandaVision. The right. one, The one that I think most people think is the weakest of the shows so far is uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, in part because I don't know what genre that's leaning into besides the Marvel genre. Marvel. Right? Mm -hmm. It's the least distinctive of them. And honestly, I enjoyed that one a lot, but it is the one that I could not tell you what makes it special. Yeah, I also think for um, the new Captain's Doctor Strange. Captain Doctor Strange and the (laughs) multi-marvel of Mad Men. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. That has some uh, genre moments, too, where they kind of leaned into horror. Uh, And those were my favorite parts of the movie by a long shot. Yeah, I think that and and uh, bringing it back to Ms. Marvel, that opens up more audiences. What Marvel Mm -hmm. needs to do, what Disney needs the MCU to do is become a bigger and bigger tent to bring in more audience, more niche, more uh, diverse characters, more diverse audiences, so that when they do have a big blockbuster movie, they can bring in even more people, even if maybe they don't care about Doctor Strange. But now they've been brought into the Marvel tent, and they are excited about a big Marvel movie. And as, obviously, they bring different characters into different movies, they can go, well, sure, you're not a Doctor Strange fan, but you loved WandaVision, and Wanda's in this one. And so you give it a shot, right? Yeah. And so this strategy does seem to be working with Ms. Marvel. Um, I got some numbers from Samba TV um, that said while Ms. Marvel had less viewers than the other uh, MCU series so far, which I have a couple other theories as to why that is, um, but viewers aged 20 to 24 watched this show at the highest rate of any of the MCU shows, and it drew a more diverse audience at you know, as we said, as their goal, um, it had black, Hispanic and Asian households watching at a higher rate. So it seems to me in that sense to be successful. I'd also be really curious about a gender breakdown of watching because this yeah. feels really unapologetically feminist and not in necessarily a um, Katniss Everdeen or Wonder Woman two dimensional way. No, no, this isn't like a girl boss show. This is Mm-mm. this is actually a show about female characters who are just yeah. happen to be female and you're getting their perspective. And both uh the main characters, we you know, as we already talked about Kamala and Nakia, uh strong female teen characters, but also if you look at the expanded cast, the biggest relationships, Kamala and her mother, Kamala and her grandmother, Kamala's mother, grandmother and great grandmother, there's a whole uh 
you know, generational spanning, looking at how women and families relate to each other and how uh, things are passed down amongst generations. And then on the villain side, our main villain on the Department of Damage Control, we have a really uh, kind of sleek, snarky female agent. And then on the side of the djinn, who briefly seem to be good people, and then it turns out they they really want to go back to their home dimension, even if it means killing everyone. Uh, also, female villain there. And I think they're, they're just having a lot of fun really stacking it with a lot of interesting female characters. And then in the periphery, they lean into that too, because in like the culture of the mosque, they talk about the different, uh, the different cliques, essentially, of people in their community. And a big one that comes up a lot are the, uh, the aunties. Yeah, they're not just that all these, uh, even the antagonists are tend to be women, but also that they're Muslim characters. So it's not like Muslims versus someone else. You know, um, like Aryan Moayad is uh, who people might know as Dewey from Succession um, is one of the uh, Department of Damage Control characters, too. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think that part is exciting, too, that it's showing um, diversity within the Muslim American community and also within uh, Muslim representation in the Marvel world, too. Within the Marvel community. Uh, <laughs> the yeah, and they, they really touch it. They, what they do a nice job of is they touch that stuff head on without really uh, spending an overly ruminative amount of time on it. Like, they, they ask the questions, and they they explicitly ask them, but then they move on because it is an action show, and it, it has some momentum to it. I'm, I'm thinking in the third episode, there's a, a subplot about... Uh, Kamala wanting to tell different people in her life that she is this superhero now because they all witnessed this superhero save Mm -hmm. that boy at the end of episode two and it went viral because this is said in the real world so to speak like you know when a superhero saves a kid from a dangling tower everyone's filming it and uploading it to TikTok and so in episode three she's watching all this footage of her saving this boy and it's the talk of the town essentially who was the superhero they and, and everyone could tell through the mask that it was a Muslim or you know at least uh, uh, somebody who could be Muslim based on their appearance superhero character right and so the buzz going around the community in episode 3 is you know this person is bringing unwanted negative attention to our community and our mosque the department of damage control shows up at the mosque demanding if they know information about this individual and they walk in shoes on into the sacred space of the mosque kind of violating that space in a way mm-hmm. uh and that that's a that's a one a really good scene i thought a really well executed scene but two sets up this great scene later in the episode where kamala is about to tell not hey it turns out i'm that superhero person and just when she's about to tell nakia nakia sees that she's watching this video on her computer and goes that person's ruined our mosque yeah. <laughs> that person's bad and so kamala has this crisis of well i really want to be this superhero and i thought that being a muslim superhero would mean i could be the hero for my community. But what I'm hearing from my community is that I'm bringing shame and negative attention onto the community. And that is such a great uh, dramatic tension for her to have as a character, but also such a real thing. Are you helping your community or hurting your community by bringing, bringing the spotlight on it, so to speak? 
Yeah, I think that's also so much room for growth over a season, potentially multiple seasons. I mean, I know there are many series of the comic book out, so they have the potential for many stories. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know yet if their plan is to make this multiple seasons, but I, I think there's definitely an I, opportunity I, I for really growth. I really hope they do because the genre mm-hmm. asks for that. My biggest fear, I would say, uh, about this show, like what direction is it going to go now? Good, bad. My biggest concern is that it's going to go in the direction of a lot of the MCU shows so far and just be a one season and it's done extended movie. Uh, WandaVision comes to mind right there where I loved the beginning of WandaVision and I was so disappointed by the end of WandaVision because they just cut it off essentially. They said, nah, that was it. And I'm like, you had the setup of something that could continue. And here is a show that is absolutely living in a genre where there would be another season. We are playing with a genre that often has way too many seasons of a show. So we, we... kind of need a second season to see how these characters grow up to see what new challenges they face uh bruno is maybe going to go to california to to uh do a really accelerated program at caltech uh is he gonna disappear or not i i it in a way uh makes me think of season four of stranger things where they've done a surprisingly good job of dealing with the fact that the characters have to move on with their lives and go to different places so it's not impossible to do that um, my fear is that Disney will not try. I'd like to see them try. I'd like to see more second seasons of these shows to begin with, but this is the one that I think most demands it. Yeah, and I also think they've sort of... I'm Going back to how they released the show on the app and just their release schedule, it seems that either they have a ton of confidence in the show and they know that people will get to it when they get to it, and they're not necessarily ex- like relying on it to get a huge bump right at the beginning. Or they don't think it will do well, and so they're not putting those resources into it. It's coming out on Disney Plus on the same day as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan Kenobi is getting more of that uh, top banner. Space. Yeah, though also now it's fighting Doctor Strange for that headline space too. So... Uh, it just seems like a weird choice to have your two huge releases competing with each other. On the one hand, I agree with that, and I worry what what it might mean in terms of their confidence for the show. But on the other hand, one thing I was thinking as we prepared for this episode in particular is how Wednesdays have really turned into my Disney night. I, mm-hmm. especially with both of those shows, uh, Marvel and Obi-Wan coming out on the same night, I met like three straight weeks of, well, Wednesday night I get home and I watch Disney Plus because that's when all the Disney Plus stuff is out and I want to see it. Uh, and that is good branding in a way to own a night of the week. Yeah, it reminds me of NBC with Thursday comedies for, you know, that whole slot in the 90s and 2000s. Though I... My question is, then why not just wait two weeks till Obi-Wan was done and say, oh, well, you used to tune into Wednesday nights on Disney Plus. Well, now we have a Marvel show for you. It's so funny. You know? I, I have the opposite concern right now, which is now that Obi-Wan is over, there's less holding me to Disney on a Wednesday night. There's only Ms. Marvel. And I like Ms. Marvel a lot. I'm going to keep watching it. But there was something about having this block of like 90 minutes of content that I was sure. like, I want to see this as soon as it comes out because I want to be caught up on it. Uh, that made it, made Wednesday 
Disney Plus night. Where now it's like Wednesdays um is Marvel, and then I'll probably watch something else and flip out of that app and go to another app. Um, I, I want to yes. see I want to see them stack stack it a little more. I mean, and maybe maybe that is a strategy that they're looking for. Um, I'd be curious to hear from some of our listeners if that is how they how yeah. they consume <laughs> content have, too. Have you begun to associate Wednesdays with Disney Plus, or is there another streamer that's owning a night of the week for you? Uh, Disney has made a real concerted effort to make Wednesday the thing, and we'll see how that goes. Yeah, yeah. I I really hope that Miss Marvel uh, takes off because I'm so charmed by it. Yes, I am too. I am too. And I, I imagine later this summer, we'll do a little rewind and revisit the end of the season to see how it all uh, worked out in the end. Yeah. And that means it's time for our very first rewind review. And that means this is your spoiler alert for Obi-Wan Kenobi. We are about to go back and discuss the entire season of Obi-Wan Kenobi. In particular, we're going to talk about what happened in the season or series finale. We're not really sure which. Very exciting. So if you mm-hmm. are not ready to hear what happened in episode six, part six of Obi-Wan Kenobi, well, then it was great spending some time with you. We'll be here next time. You can just save this episode for later when you're ready to catch up. And as always, you can find us podcast at streamageddon.com. Tell us what you want us to watch, and then you will hear on the show. But for the rest of you, rewind review time. Here we go. Very excited to go to this galaxy far, far away, but very uh, recent in my memory because I just watched it last night. Uh, What did you think of the finale? I thought the finale was better than episode five. I agree. Um, (laughs) I thought it it hit some nice notes. I really liked the confrontation between uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin. Um, uh, That scene really worked for me. I thought that Hayden Christensen did a lovely job, uh, as did the voice of James Earl Jones. Um, So so that part worked for me. Um, I was less satisfied with how they wrapped up Reva's character. I could not agree more. My biggest complaint about this season, and I will say a lot of people complain that like, oh, it was too predictable. We knew what was going to happen. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's a prequel set between two existing (laughs) movies. Like everything is, we know what's going to happen. That does not bother me at all. Uh, The final episode, I ate a whole bag of popcorn watching because it was just, it was was like, it was like watching A New Hope or an em- The mm-hmm. Empire Strikes Back. At its best moments, it really had big Empire Strikes Back vibes, uh, especially in the showdown between Obi-Wan and Anakin. I-, I-, I really enjoyed that. I did not love how they introduced a really exciting, very interesting new character, then kind of wrote her badly and rushed her character's development in the last two episodes. Like, Reva is a really interesting character to introduce to the show, especially once they revealed her backstory and they revealed Mm -hmm. that she was actually there to try to kill Vader but they revealed all of that in the course of like 30 seconds it felt like it it, like they just her character completely turned on a dime and then you go like well I guess that tracks with what I've seen so far but at the same time that didn't feel earned no it's I I don't think it tracks with what we've seen so far we had scenes with her and Vader why didn't she kill Vader if she wanted to kill Vader she I don't was understand. waiting until she'd been made Grand Inquisitor for reasons. Doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. I and it might, and maybe someone can explain it to me because oftentimes with things like Star Wars, where I became a fan as an adult, so I don't have that like encyclopedic knowledge of all things Star Wars. 
I just enjoy watching it. But I think that so sometimes people can explain things to me, but this one did not make sense as, as a more casual viewer of, of this universe. I was like, what? Why is she doing that? I don't get it. And they also had the reveal as a flashback the show also had multiple flashbacks between Obi-Wan and Anakin. So now we've got like different opposing flashback timelines happening. Messy storytelling that I had a hard time with episode five. I was like, oof. Yeah. And episode five was a a flashback heavy episode. It was all the flashbacks. uh, And, and yeah, I think they could have spread that out more, especially with the flashback sequence with Anakin and Obi-Wan in that episode where they're just dueling. That could have been in any episode really. I, and so, they in to me they chose the worst episode to shoehorn that into because then they Agreed. have this big twist in Riva hinging on a different Anakin flashback and also I'm gonna be honest Hayden Christensen doing great in this show he looks old in the flashbacks Ewan McGregor looks great in the flashbacks but uh Anakin doesn't and I, I part of me is like you guys have the CGI to make him look younger I don't know why you didn't just do that you did it to go full Irish I, well you did it to Luke in Boba Fett and the Mandalorian like you you just CGI'd Mark Hamill to look 20 you couldn't CGI Hayden Christensen to look 20 again I I don't understand that personally but that's not yeah. my complaint so much as just like story-wise character-wise it didn't it didn't feel right. It didn't feel earned, let alone sensical in some cases. They also kept showing some of the flashbacks after they show like Vader's face and it go to a flashback. And then it would show a flashback after like um Obi-Wan's face. So were we supposed to assume that they were both having the same memory? Through like, some is force that... shenanigans? I, uh, maybe. Uh, uh, it didn't seem also like a potent enough scene that it was vital to the forward progression of the story there. Yeah, so episode five, I was a little disheartened about where things were going. I was confused because it seemed like Riva was dead. Uh-huh. How, how did she get better so the, fast? The I mean, obviously episode. she's still injured. The end of that episode, Reva seems dead, but because she gets impaled with a lightsaber by Darth Vader. But I then you've seen that kill characters in yeah, Star Wars. Yeah. But then she like has this hollow message from Senator Organa and <gasps> and he reveals that Luke is alive. And you're like, where did why does she have this? What is she gonna tell someone? What is she learning this for? I thought she's about to die. So does this mean that other people know about it or just her? And then we find out in the sixth episode, she doesn't die, though continuously she seems to be in pain. And when people like punch her in the stomach, it really hurts her. Which I'm like, I don't know. How long can you be impaled and still like walking around, traveling to Tatooine, fighting people? But apparently a while. And so she goes, and I'm like, Didn't I don't, I don't understand. I spent most of episode six being like, I don't understand why she's going to Tatooine. I don't understand what she's looking for. I, like, I get she's looking for Luke, but I don't understand what she wants with Luke. I'm so confused. And finally, we figure out, oh, it's like an eye for an eye thing. Vader, Anakin, killed all these kids at the Jedi Academy. And so she's going to go kill his kid. That's it. Mm. 
After she helped Obi-Wan save Leia, although I guess she doesn't know Leia is also his kid. But I, I was just so much of that was like, what is, that's it? She's just there to murder him because vengeance and the dark side. But then she doesn't because she's conflicted. And they end it with like, well, you can choose what to be now. And she throws her crazy spinning lightsaber down on the ground and is like, I'm free. But also, aren't you going to die because you were impaled? Right. Right. And she's running after being impaled, fighting, so much, running. So much. Uh, I don't. I, that, that was weird, though. I did like seeing uh, Owen and Baru. Um, yeah. Fighting. Like they, to they were so fierce. That was really satisfying. Um, uh, but yeah, two of the plot points of this season now were about an adult character really carelessly spoiling a secret uh, when. Obi Wan calls Leia Leia on the transport. Yeah, that was dumb. And then that was so dumb. And then uh, Senator Organa, you know, basically giving everything away about Luke. I was like, these plot devices are so thin. Please, like, no, I just, it's too much. It's too much. It really, obviously, we're suspending disbelief because we're in. The Star Wars, Star Wars world. world, yeah, but sure. like at least make it plausible within the world you've set up. These are supposed to be intelligent men. Come yeah. on, yeah, it's so weird. At the end of the day, I I was wrong with my prediction that all of the nice Jedi saving people would die. I want to point out my prediction was some died. I was like, all those nice people, they'll be dead, and instead, just some of them are dead, and a lot of them lived. So they they did subvert that expectation for me. Thank you so much. Um, but for the most part. Uh, it ended in a place where I was both I was both satisfied with how it slots into the existing story and deeply unsatisfied with every new thing they tried to introduce. And that was a bummer because some of the new stuff could have been very interesting. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, having made all those complaints about Riva's character development, Moses Ingram gave a great performance. Yeah. Um, it really held up throughout the season. When we see her in that scene with Obi-Wan where they're on opposite sides of the door. like So if they do have a second season and it's more Reva stuff, I wouldn't mind that. I mean, the thing I don't is, know. After complaining a lot about how they handled Reva's character, I'm like, well, you... you botched the execution of revealing her true character to us. You really just did not do that well. However, the 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 character you created is an interesting character. And so if you've committed to keeping her alive and you just got to own the fact that you kind of did a terrible job getting us to here, but that doesn't mean it has to continue to be terrible. Her character is not inherently terrible. It's just they really poorly explained her to us. But now if yeah. we do a new season and they want to introduce her as somebody, I'm interested because one of the more interesting elements of a prequel like this to me is you're getting the untold stories you're you're learning about right. the characters who did not survive to the thing you know and who wouldn't come up in the course of the thing you know because they're not going to spend time talking about a bunch of characters you've never met and so it's fully believable to me that there could be this extremely important person named Riva who had a very important role to play in Obi-Wan's life and that we never hear about her ever again because she died you know 10 years before the movie yeah can you refresh my memory on Star Wars A New Hope? And 
does Luke know Obi-Wan at the beginning of the movie? Yeah, yeah. Obi-Wan he is does. like, okay. Obi-Wan is treated as kind of like the local crazy old man. Okay. Yeah. And so it, it is a big moment at the end of uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi when Uncle Owen introduces Ben Kenobi to Luke for the first time. Uh, and that that's meant to be, oh, this is how they finally got to that place. Because the season starts with Ben is, yeah, Ben is not allowed near Luke. Ben is lurking <laughs> and, like, watching Luke through his binoculars. Um, and, and Uncle Owen hates Ben and wants Ben to have nothing to do with Luke. And after they go through this ordeal of Reva sloppily trying to murder Luke... Uh, ben comes. Ben is invited into the life. Uh, Owen comes around and says, "You can meet Luke now. You don't have to leave." Though that's only after uh, Obi Wan says to Owen, "I'm going to leave forever now. Good luck." <laughs> like even that was kind of sloppy because it, it was like Obi Wan coming in to be like, "Well, you're right. I'm a terrible influence. You guys seem to have this down. I'm never going to come back. Goodbye forever." And as he's like going to get back on his weird elephant horse, uh, uh, Owen goes, "Obi Wan." Uh, come back. Do you want to meet him? <laughs> Which again, like from a, a, a big picture, like how does this all fit in the Star Wars saga perspective? I'm like, yeah, I, that, that we got. Oh, that's interesting. We got to that. And then the way it plays out in the moment, the way it's written, the way it's executed. I'm like, really? That's how it just yeah. like good ideas, really sloppy execution uh, with a few great okay. moments. Like again, the, the big Vader uh, Obi-Wan showdown that would yeah. be my overall assessment agreed um I yeah I'm curious that they never showed him actually bringing Leia home because it seemed like at the beginning of the show that that would be the big arc of the season um, right but he has but to he has to leave the, Leia to draw Vader away from the the ship yeah. Yeah, um, and then they get their little reunion scene. I also thought again, also in that tone though. They, so he he leaves her to, in order to save her and mm-hmm. uh, trust that Kumail Nanjiani will get her home, and which was honestly a choice where Kumail's character goes like, you know, you're asking like a liar and a fake Jedi to do this, and he's like, I know, bye. Uh, so they they had to have a scene where Leia and Obi Wan get to have a, a real good. By. So they have Obi-Wan fly to Alderaan and come down off the ship and like have a really special conversation with Leia where he's like, I knew your parents and you have the best qualities of your parents. And then he turns right back around and gets right back on his ship. Like, didn't even stay for lunch. That was my thought as he I left. Know, I was like, you, you flew all this way just to deliver her robot to her and go, keep it up, kid. And then you're out. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought that that was a weird choice, too. They could have just shown them heading inside together. We wouldn't have thought. Yeah, they you could know. have just been like, yeah. stay for lunch. Literally, all right. I had to say was the phrase, stay for lunch. Even just a cup of tea. What did you think of uh, Qui-Gon Jinn? Oh, and then the force ghost of Qui-Gon Jinn showing up at the end? Sure. Mm-hmm. I, you know what? Why not? I, I, I don't have enough uh, energy to care about Qui-Gon Jinn. That's just the truth. I was like, that's fine. That, that tracks. Yeah. I was wondering if in the moment when Luke was, or when Obi-Wan was uh, buried by those heavy rocks, when yes. um, Vader had, had buried him alive, basically. In heavy rocks, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
if at that moment would be because I was expecting Qui-Gon to show up at some point and I was like oh is this when you know he's gonna like come help him and I was like no he's just gonna come say hi later <laughs> yeah the absolute okay. very end he'll be like now that you've done all the hard stuff without me now you can see me which tracks in a way with like the force sure. blah 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 you know it, like like we said in the review a lot of the show is how Obi-Wan got his groove back and that is mm-hmm. ultimately the entire point of the show like if i'm just like what was this whole show about how obi-wan got his groove back yeah i think you know coming to peace with um what had happened to anakin yeah uh, but yeah and you know i don't mind seeing liam neeson ever no. so this was yeah a, a especially treat. like kind of a pocket-sized liam neeson a little <laughs> tiny liam neeson you could pick up and carry i I'd, I'd, I'd get one if yeah. i could yeah well, that's a marketing option for Disney Plus right there. I would, you, you, you've sold enough Baby Yoda swag. It's time to sell me a Baby Liam Neeson. Ooh, yeah, mm-hmm. please. Well, if you have your own ideas for hot new merch, you can tell us about it. Leave us a review <laughs> on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, or email us, podcast at streamageddon.com. That was our first Rewind review, where we went back and told you what we thought of a show we already reviewed. Did you agree with us? Let us know. And let us know what shows you want us to revisit. We will give you a little teaser right now. Coming soon in the Rewind review lineup, Barry and... I love that for you. But until then, have a great streaming week, Diane. And you. Yeah, never never tune off. Never tune off. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> <laughs>